Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you visit the website, Johnson's Air Conditioning. Dot com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We have a terrific guest for today's show, including Bob Levy, constitutional scholar and chairman of the Cato Institute. We'll be talking about the expansion of executive powers under the Constitution. We're talking about the President of the United States. Andrew Jopp is a professor and author of Josephus of Oz. He'll be with us as well as Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston, author of several books. His latest is How Everything Happened, Including Us. We'll be talking about uh, the concept of realities are. Boy, George Well Orwell's thoughts are becoming prevalent in today's politics. It is February the 10th, and on this day in 1996, after three hours, world chess champion Gary Kasparov lost to his first game of six-game match against Deep Blue, an IBM computer capable of evaluating 200 million moves per second. Man was ultimately victorious over machine, however, as Kasparov bested Deep Blue in a match with three wins and two ties and took home the $400,000 prize. An estimated 6 million people worldwide watched the action on the Internet. Kasparov, who has previously defeated Deep Thought, the prototype for Deep Blue developed by IBM researchers in 1989, but he and other chess grandmasters had on occasion lost to computers in games that lasted an hour or less. The February 1996 contest was significant in that it represented the first time a human and a computer had duked it out in a regulation six-game match in which each player had two hours to make 40 moves, two hours to finish the next 20 moves, and then another 60 minutes to wrap up the game. Kasparov was born in 1963 in Azerbaijan became the Soviet Union's uh, junior chess champion at the age of 13 in 1985. At age 22, the youngest world champ ever when he beat legendary Soviet player Anatoly Karpov. Considered by many to be the greatest chess player in the history of the game, Kasparov was known for his swashbuckling style of play and his ability to switch tactics mid-game. In 1997, a rematch took place between Kasparov and an enhanced Deep Blue. Kasparov won the first game, the computer's second, and with the next three games, a draw on May the 11th, 1997, Deep Blue came out on top with a surprising six-game win and a $700,000 match prize. In 2003, Kasparov battled another computer program, Deep Junior. The match ended in a tie. He retired from chess in 2005. I read a book called uh, by Jankowski, as I recall, back in the 70s. that said that one day that uh, computers will overtake uh, humankind and humankind, man will become extinct. We're getting closer and closer to those days, aren't we? By the way, we were watching a, The Queen's Gambit on Netflix. It's about chess, obviously, and I just encourage you, if you haven't seen it, it's really entertaining and exciting. Queen's Gambit on Netflix. Throughout the election, Donald Trump was battered by the uh, virus statistics in order to hurt the American economy and his political campaign. A new study finds that the CDC illegally inflated the COVID fatality number by at least 1,600% as the 2020 presidential election played out. That's according to a new study. Major point is that test, testing inaccuracies and unreliability combined with unscientific procedures and methods resulted in demonstrably massive false positive spikes most notably, the CDC illegally enacted new rules for the data collection and reporting exclusively for COVID-19 that resulted in a 1,600% inflation of current COVID-19 fatality uh, totals. That, according to a watchdog group, all concerned citizens. Research asserts that the CDC willfully compromised the accuracy and integrity of all CDC, uh, COVID-19 case and fatality data from the onset of the crisis in order to fraudulently inflate cases and fatality de data. And I, I totally believe that. I'm not a conspiracy theorist guy myself. But boy, when you connect the dots, it's pretty obvious that uh, we, we've never collected data on just one statistic. And quite frankly, the uh, fatality 
Rates in the United States are about where they were in previous years. Unbelievable. Super Bowl 20, uh, 55 kicked off the year with a singing of the Black National Anthem. Alicia Keys sang, Lift Your Voice and Sing in Tampa to start off the festivities. Shots of NFL players kneeling to the National Anthem at Black Lives Matter protests were included in the Super Bowl video. The halftime was dark and I would consider somewhat satanic. The NFL season ratings are down another 70% this year, and despite having two popular and exciting quarterbacks, Super Bowl uh, 55 was a ratings disaster. The Super Bowl ratings were down 9% from last year. The game was the lowest-rated Super Bowl, get this, in 50 years. That should be somewhat worrying to the league. All the virtue signaling is not paying off. Sooner or later, Roger Goodell and his band of woke executives will figure out the viewership wants professional sports to stay in their lanes. It's costing us our pleasure in the league lots of money. Just don't understand <laughs> how this woke stuff has to dominate professional sports. Plays such an important role, and you know what? It dampens my enthusiasm to watch sports. I don't know about you. I guess when the ratings come out for the impeachment trial, the viewership results will be equally dismal. Did you watch it? No, I didn't either. 44 senators voted the proceedings were unconstitutional, making the conviction a near impossibility. How do you vert vote to convict if, in fact, you think the proceedings are unconstitutional in the first place? So let's understand why we're really here. Defense attorney Bruce Castor argued yesterday. We're really here because the majority of the House of Representatives do not, does not want to face Donald Trump as a political rival in the future. I think that's right on. Fellow defense attorney David Schoen also said, a great many Americans see this process for exactly what it is, a chance by a group of partisan politicians seeking to eliminate Donald Trump from the American political scene and seeking to disenfranchise 74 million Americans uh, who voted for Trump. Rick Hume uh, suggested Trump's acquittal seemed to be a foregone conclusion. This particular impeachment seems especially half-baked to me, he said, in a sense that the House acted in desperate haste to try and get it under the wire before the president had actually left the office, and it's a, in a single county, he argued. That's one count of impeachment. There was no investigation, no hearings, no witnesses called, no nothing, and they sent the whole thing over to the Senate where there is no indication enough for Republicans would join Democrats to create the two-thirds needed to convict, he added. I suspect in the end, the Democrats have picked a fight they wish they hadn't picked. Trump's been out of office for three weeks, and he's still living rent-free in their heads. What, what would they talk about if they couldn't talk about Trump and, and hatred for him? I don't know. I found this terrific summary by John Solomon from Just the News. I don't know if you ever look at Just the News. It's a terrific news platform. I'm going to paraphrase, paraphrase some of the things he says here. A month ago, Biden and his Democrat cronies in Congress had an aggressive plan to appease their liberal base, not the American people. Boy, that's obvious. Impeach Donald Trump a second time. Allegedly, he's incited the Capitol riots, blast out COVID-19 vaccines, and pass another stimulus, impose climate policies, and raise the minimum wage to $15 an hour, which would kill millions of jobs. Just a few short weeks into Biden's presidency, those liberal ambitions have crashed in a stark economic and political reality as Trump's trial remedies and readies to open Tuesday in the Senate, he said. Richard Trumka, the head of the AFL-CIO, which spent millions to get Biden elected, excoriated the new president's climate policies this past weekend for erasing thousands of well-paying union jobs with the shutdown of the Keystone Pipeline from Canada. Gas prices, which hit the working class hard, are showing signs of creeping up. The nonpartisan Congressional Budget Office warned Monday that Democrats plan to impose a $15 an hour minimum wage would cost 1.4 million jobs, adding to an already uncomfortable high unemployment level. A new poll by Just the News added to the Red Flags Monday, showing a solid majority of Americans believed raising the minimum wage would be a job killer. Twenty days into his presidency, Biden purported hopes for a bipartisan COVID stimulus bill floundered for lack of Republican buy-in, and now even some Democrats like former Treasury Secretary Larry Summers, are questioning whether the $1.9 trillion price tag is too much. Well, certainly it is. Uh, current Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen also warned that inflation may soon rear its ugly head with all the government spending deficits 
saying it was a risk of the uh, Biden stimulus plan. By what we had an excessive uh, deficit in the month of January. Meanwhile, talk of rapid vaccinating Americans slammed into a reality of supply shortages and highly disorganized local health care systems, as well as fears that new variants of the coronavirus are poised to create long-term challenges. In the emotionally charged case that Trump incited the Capitol riot with his January 9th 6th speech has developed deep cracks. Less than a half dozen Republicans have shown any interest in conviction as the facts increasingly show that riot was not spontaneous, but rather planned for days and weeks with fundraising, training, and combat threats. Even the former Capitol Police chief has weighed in with a letter to Speaker Nancy Pelosi saying the attacks exhibited a high level of coordination undercutting the Democrats' spontaneous incitement narrative even further. So this is not going to end in uh, conviction for sure, and I think it's all going to end up splashing on uh, the Democrats as they move forward with this. It's uh, If you get a chance, go to uh, justthenews.com and check out John Solomon's column. It's really excellent. The last few weeks recall the old adage that in Washington it's a lot easier to say what you're going to do rather than getting it done. Let's hope that they can't because the agenda is pretty stark and, and uh, awful, at least for the American economy. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. Visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also, Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, Bob Levy, chairman of the Cato Institute. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of the Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m. seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Did you know St. Matthew's House operates the only emergency homeless shelters in Collier County? St. Matthew's House provided more than 500,000 hot meals to those in need last year, and since 2010, 527 men and women have graduated from the St. Matthew's House Justin's Place Addiction Recovery Program. For over 30 years, St. Matthew's House has provided innovative solutions to fight homelessness, hunger, substance abuse, and poverty in Southwest Florida. And you can help St. Matthew's House in this life-transforming work by patronizing the St. Matthew's House Thrift Stores, Cafe M25, Car Wash and Detailing Center, and award-winning catering operations. For more information, visit stmatthewshouse.org. That's stmatthewshouse.org. St. Matthew's House is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization and does not solicit government funding. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. And you can find out more by visiting golfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Professor Andrew Joppa. Right now we have with us Bob Levy. Bob is a constitutional scholar. He's written several books. He's an author. And he's the chairman of a terrific organization. It's called the Cato Institute. Bob, thank you so much for joining us. Pleasure to be with you, Bob. Thank you, Bob. Tell us about the Cato Institute. We are a libertarian think tank headquartered in Washington, D.C. 
devoted to free markets, private property, securing individual rights, and limited government. www.cato.org on the web. Thank you, Bob. So we've been talking about executive powers of, of course, of the uh, uh, executive powers of the uh, uh, United States government. Let's uh, move to the topic of assassination of U.S. citizens. What was Obama's position regarding the assassination of U.S. citizens? Well, we had these drone attacks, as you may recall, designed to assassinate some uh, enemies, mm-hmm. and uh, at least one of whom, and maybe more, may, were U.S. citizens. And the Justice Department issued a white paper that... Um, presumably still applies, Uh, the president was authorized to kill any American citizen who an informed high-level official decides is a senior operational leader of al-Qaeda or some associated force, and that that person presents an imminent threat of violent attack And uh, that all assumes that the other government where this person is located is either unable or unwilling to act. So what we don't know is which U.S. officials can make that decision, which leaders can be assassinated, what does the phrase imminent attack mean? Uh, According to the white paper, the president doesn't have to consult Congress, doesn't have to consult the courts, doesn't even have to tell the public uh, before or after mm. these uh, killings occur, I think a very dangerous uh, policy. Oh, especially in today's climate, now that uh, Trump voters are now uh, domestic terrorists. My goodness, yeah. <laughs> we yeah. t- take it out. So what does the Constitution say about all this? Well, the Fifth Amendment ensures that U.S. persons cannot be denied uh, due process, and uh, that that the process that's due is at its highest if that U.S. person is a citizen. Mm -hmm. Uh, On the other hand, I mean, there are some citizens who can be killed without due process. So, for example, if there's a U.S. citizen who's threatening to kill hostages, he can be stopped by law enforcement authorities. Mm -hmm. And uh, any American who serves in a foreign army that's uh, at war with the United States is plainly a legitimate uh, target. In fact, combat service in the foreign army uh, can result in loss of uh, citizenship so that the, this issue doesn't even arrive. So so there are some occasions when it's permissible, yeah. but um, this goes too far, this white paper. Oh my goodness, it's unbelievable that a white paper could be considered law or at least guidance in terms of the behavior of the executive branch. So do you yes. con- do you conclude that the killing of uh, Anwar al-Laki was uh, unconstitutional? Well, n- no one identified a threat from him that was imminent. Um, we usually interpret imminent to mean about to happen. So he, he wasn't involved in 9-11. Uh, he may have been al-Qaeda, um, an al-Qaeda agent, but that's not the same as being a soldier who's engaged in combat. So... It, if an assassination that might be lawful if Alaki had been actively fighting on a battlefield mm-hmm. isn't lawful if he's simply sitting in Yemen, even if he's plotting attacks uh, from Yemen where there were no hostilities uh, in process. So uh, just to be clear, I'm not suggesting that he couldn't be or shouldn't be assassinated, but when U.S. citizens are targeted, yeah. there has to be more process than simply a unilateral decision by one person to take him out. Uh, so it doesn't mean a trial before a federal court, but perhaps the equivalent of uh, an assassination warrant, for example, that requires somebody outside the executive branch that has relevant expertise to certify that there's sufficient cause for this. You know, this is all about separation of powers between the various branches. If it means anything, it stands for the proposition that U.S. citizens can't be killed on command uh, of the executive branch alone without regard to the Fifth Amendment. 
Bob, this is such a scary conversation we're having right now because when the Constitution was written, they had uh, muskets and they were firing at each other, and that was the process of war, or perhaps ships. But right now, on conventional warfare, whether it's cyber warfare, whatever it might be, and now with drones and all the things that are going on, to think that a white paper could justify some mid-level executive or person in the government to decide to take someone out, that's egregious. It's awful. It's crazy when you think about it. And uh, at a minimum, you would, you would think that there would be required involvement of a second branch of government. Presumably the courts uh, or at a, a, a Congress or at least a special committee of Congress yeah. that had been well briefed on the circumstances that might be cited to justify an assassination of a person who, after all, is an American. Bob, is, can, can this quote-unquote white paper be challenged in court or and somehow overturned or uh, nullified? Well... It, you know the rules on executive orders, and this is this is sort of the equivalent of an executive executive order. It doesn't actually this doesn't even rise to the status of an executive order because it's a paper issued by some folks in the Justice Department. Yeah. But an exe- executive order ordinarily has some more force when it's involved with foreign affairs yeah. or national security. But that doesn't mean carte blanche. It still requires uh, the input from one other branch. Uh, of government to have the force of law. The problem with this is that we don't even know about it. So a lot of these assassinations uh, could be carried out in secret, and they don't even become known to us unless there's some objection by the foreign government involved. And, of course, at that point, it is too late to reverse the process and to get a second branch of government involved. The plain fact is the whole policy ought to be revised Yes, and again, especially with the, the new forms of warfare that we're experiencing right now, I mean, in my view, we're at war with China. Now, it's, it's not a conventional war. Uh, we certainly have all the signals and the saber-rattling that's going on that uh, could lead to war, but the real war is the uh, intellectual theft. It's the, you know, all the things that are going on that, uh, that really amount to war, in my opinion. Yes, and, and again, I, I want to make it clear, there are circumstances when I think these kinds of assassinations are entirely justified, mm-hmm. uh, but they, they do require, at a minimum, some process, yeah. particularly when the U.S. citizen is the target. And that process, I think, must necessarily include input from either the legislative uh, or the judicial branch of government, in addition to some unilateral determination by a person in the executive branch who may not even be the president of the United States. All right. So this this is a very, very uh, difficult area. As you say, with drone warfare, uh, we are uh, really uh, carrying on policies that we ought not be carrying yeah, on. Yeah, this is such an informative but scary conversation. Again, Bob Levy, the chairman of the Cato Institute, I urge you to visit Cato.org, C-A-T-O.org. Bob, thank you so much for your most well-informed and interesting commentary. Thanks for joining us. Always a pleasure, Bob. Good to be with you. Thank you so much. All right, coming up, uh, we're going to visit with Andy Joppa. Andrew Joppa is a professor. He's an author of Josephus of Oz, and always look forward to his commentary, weekly commentary here on the show. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Blue Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Lyndon and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice are the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit BlueProvenceNaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. 
That's blueprovencenaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Golfshore Playhouse is passionately committed to enriching our cultural landscape by producing professional theater to the highest artistic standards and providing unique educational opportunities to folks in a spirit of service, adventure, and excitement. Over the past 15 years, the Playhouse has expanded immensely, outgoing its current facilities. With dreams of expanding even further in order to better serve the community, broaden the economic impact, and strengthen the cultural fabric of our region, it's time to build and move into a new home. A 44,000 square foot state-of-the-art theater and education center will be built on three acres at the corner of 1st Avenue South and Goodlett Frank Road, allowing Gulf Shore Playhouse to achieve those dreams. To find out more about Gulf Shore Playhouse, this state-of-the-art performing arts center, and about the season's exciting productions, visit golfshoreplayhouse.org. That's golfshoreplayhouse.org. We'll see you at the show. Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We attempt to provide you commentary and news rooted in our commitment to individual liberty, personal responsibility, limited government, and the rule of law. A guy that really helps us do that is Andrew Joppa. He's a professor. He's an author of Josephus of Oz. I think he really sees the world through a prism correctly. Andy, thank you so much for joining us. Good morning, my friend. Good morning, Andy. So yesterday, kind of a yawner, we had the the impeachment process start, uh, totally uh, unconstitutional, but irrespective. What are your thoughts? Well, I don't want to dis- dismiss what happened on January 6th, but what happened yesterday in the Capitol building was far more serious uh, in terms of damaging our republic and our constitution than anything that happened on, on that day. Uh, we have a president, former president, who was... Um, move towards impeachment, the declaration that it was a constitutional action uh, obviously violated the clear language and intent of the Constitution. Uh, That included six Republican senators, um, Collins, Cassidy, Romney, Murkowski, Sasse, uh, and Toomey. And by the way, Cassidy just joined that group uh, as of yesterday uh, as he decided that the presentations made by the Democrats and the Republicans uh, forced them into uh, supporting the constitutionality. Uh, Cassidy was totally ignoring the fact that he has a a personal obligation uh, as a senator uh, to, in fact, read the plain language of the Constitution (laughs) and come to his own opinions uh, independently of, of any theoretic uh, constitutional scholars. Cassidy also said that the presentations made by Trump's attorneys were were rambling. Now, I do agree the Bruce Casters uh, were. I, I heard most of Casters. I heard all of David Schoen's. And uh, David Schoen, I thought, made an exemplary presentation on the, uh, on the history of the uh, impeachment process, the, the clear wording of it, what the words meant. Uh, and obviously, I thought, made a uh, irrefutable case that this was clearly an unconstitutional action, and yet Cassidy thought there was nothing in that that uh, should not have prevented him from yeah. moving his vote towards the constitutionality. So um, I, I'm not sure how this is going to unfold. I was just reading some statistics that uh, the American people are moving more and more to a, uh, a presumption that there were clear violations of, of law by the president, by President Donald Trump at that point, so I'm becoming concerned. I, I doubt it will reach a, uh, a full conviction threshold in the Senate. Uh, on the other hand, I can, I can see perhaps censure or, in fact, a, a separate ruling that would uh, bar President Trump from running for office again. And I, I, I would suggest, Bob, that I think that is the entire intent of this process. Uh, I think the, the only thing the Democrats are afraid of in America right now is facing Donald Trump again in 2024. Yeah, I don't. I so much agree with you right now. I think the main main objective of this entire process is to uh, make sure that Donald Trump cannot affect the political scene going forward because he is so dominant. And still, he, think about this: he's three weeks out of office, and all they can talk about is is hatred of Trump. It's it's unbelievable. So, and and here's the other implication. You know, uh, is this now? Or are we going to be able to have an impeachment process for? Uh, well, for example. 
uh, uh, Obama or perhaps uh, Schumer or, you know, and you can go down the list right now because right now this opens Pandora's box when it comes to using the, uh, the, the Constitution as a weapon. Well, I think that Joan even referred to the fact that they could back up now and bring uh, Jimmy Carter forward uh, and impeach him for his actions dealing with Iran in 1979. Right. Uh, so, uh, you know, this is, uh, it, it borders on ridiculous that uh, the, the Constitution would allow for such, for such actions. Uh, and again, uh, shown that I think a, a brilliant job in presenting the the total unconstitutionality of the of, of impeaching a a person who was not in office. The the clear wording of the the Constitution says that uh, this the main purpose of this is to remove the president from office, uh, and that is the 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 issue at hand. Uh, what they're dealing with now is entirely the uh, the the actions that took place on January sixth, as compared to the. Uh, the constitutionality of, of an impeachment. So um, I'm becoming more and more concerned about the implications of this process. Uh, I think it has uh, stronger traction and legs than the, the first absurd uh, collusion-based impeachment process. Uh, and with the six uh, Republicans now bringing that up to 56, I, again, I doubt it will reach an impeachment conviction threshold, but I think there are things that might happen to the former president uh, that are uh, not uh, that will be significant in terms of affecting his future politically in America, Bob. Yeah, no, I have, I, I don't have those concerns or reservations at all. I think that he's five steps ahead of those guys, so I think he'll figure it out, irrespective of the outcome of this thing. So, I mean, it, the thing is, I don't know if you looked at the Time Magazine article confessing. I was, what was her name now? I forgot now, but she, it's a long article. But basically, she said, you know what? Uh, there was tons of collusion to make sure that the president of the uh, United States did not win the election, did not win re-election. But you know what? It's all okay because, you know what? We all hate him so much. Yeah, that article was written by uh, Molly Ball. I just happened yeah. to have a comment she made from that article in front of me, and she says, that's why the participants want the secret history of the 2020 election told, even though it sounds like a paranoid fever dream, a well-funded cabal of powerful people ranging across industries and ideologies, yeah. working together behind the scenes to influence perceptions, change rules and laws, steer media coverage and control flow of information, but she says they were not rigging the election, they were fortifying it. And they believe the public needs to understand the system's fragility in order to ensure that democracy in America endures. So Molly Ball's basic point, and I think she's trying to get ahead of the curve on this, yeah. uh, getting ahead of the curve in this sense would, would be there are state legislatures that are now reviewing the, uh, the election process and the election results from, from 2020. Uh, and I think that she understands, and many Democrats understand, that there are going to be findings come out that will indicate exactly what's, what Molly Ball has indicated and should be interpreted as uh, election rigging in some way, and yet she's positioning it as election fortifying. And I think that's I'm just trying to get ahead of the curve on that issue. Bob. No, you're absolutely right. The only thing she doesn't cover is the Dominion software and the uh, the collusion and, and foreign interference in our in our uh, in our elections. That, of course, was covered by Absolute Proof. I don't know if you've seen the video, uh, Mike Lindell's uh, video of Absolute Proof. It is really, really shocking. And I just encourage all of our listeners to take a look at it. It's about two hours long. Great information. The last 15 minutes is really compelling. So, uh, it, again, here we are basically saying, yeah, we cheat. We, we know we did that. But, you know, it was worth it because Trump, Mr. Orange, Orange Man, was, uh, he, is, he is a dictator. He's a, somewhat of a Nazi. And we're just glad he didn't, didn't win the election. Unbelievable. Uh, I don't think there's ever been a more uh, concerned president with uh, with legality and, and propriety in terms of adhering to the constitutional requirements and restrictions uh, than has been Donald Trump. The the notion that this man has acted in a tyrannical, dictatorial manner is uh, is is provably absurd, and yet that that goes on. Uh, let, let me just add about the uh, the impeachment yesterday. They uh, the House uh, uh, committee also ran a, a video which they uh, they truncated they uh, they altered that video to eliminate president trump on january 6th saying the word peacefully uh, that is a violation by the way of of house rules it's a significant violation and, and it should be brought out uh, and one more thought about what the uh, trump lawyers did 
to me, what they seemed to do and seemed to be saying, Bob, was that, yes, if Donald Trump was still in office, he could be, and perhaps, well, let's not say should, but he could be impeached. In other words, uh, their defense, based on the lack of constitutionality, seemed to suggest that, uh, that he would be impeachable if he was in office. They offered no comment at all that uh, 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 President Trump did nothing wrong. Uh, so I, uh, that, that bothered me yesterday. And now I know the purpose yesterday was to produce a vote on the constitutionality of the process. Uh, so I'm optimistic that going forward that those issues will become front and center with the, with the defense team. All right. And listen, I have so many other things I want to talk to you about. Can you stick around? I will be here. All right. We're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. have an extra auto you'd like to donate to charity maximize your tax deduction support your favorite charity and help a local child in need by calling naples auto donation center naples auto donation center is a not-for-profit licensed car dealer just call nadc at 692-9840 and they'll take it from there you get a properly documented tax deduction for whatever the vehicle actually sells for your designated beneficiary charity gets half the profit after fix-up costs and the net revenue generated by nadc goes to Friends of Foster Children to provide tutoring and other enrichment activities for foster children the government doesn't provide. And NADC is also one of the few places in Collier County that sells inexpensive cars that actually run to folks who would otherwise not be able to afford one. It's a real win-win. Call Naples Auto Donation Center at 692-9840 or visit the website nadckids.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability. I proudly serve on their board. They create policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. It's a moral imperative, and you can find out more by visiting thefga.org. We continue the conversation now with Andy Jopp, again, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. Again, Andy, thank you so much for joining us. Good to be with you, Bob. So, Andy, uh, there's a lot of uh, conversation right now about the Wuhan lab and how this whole uh, China virus got started, which, by the way, <laughs> he, Joe Biden signed uh, an executive order saying that people can't use the term uh, <laughs> China virus. <laughs> what? It's such nuts. You know, a, a lot of uh, a lot of uh, my friends are, uh, are optimistic about 2022 because they believe COVID-19 will be out of the way by then, and and that particular element will perhaps create a higher degree of of legality and and form to the 2022 elections. I'm, I'm not even convinced, Bob, that this will be out of the way by then. So hmm. uh, I'm not I'm not optimistic that 2022 will be COVID-19 free. But the World Health Organization yesterday, day before yesterday, indicated that the Wuhan lab in Wuhan lab in no way was responsible for the for the release of, of that virus. Yeah. Now, to do so, they had to uh, ignore certain things which are never brought up. For example, the uh, the gain of function research done by by Tony Fauci, uh, the funding that he supplied the Wuhan labs to uh, to deal with the gain of function concept. Um, and if I might, and this sounds rather um, conspiratorial, and it. it it may be, but I, I think it's true. Uh, Tony Fauci has a deep investment in, for example, a Moderna vaccine, and to a certain extent with the Pfizer. Uh, the, the new J&J vaccine, uh, which is an entirely different uh, process in terms of how it creates its immunity, uh, does it, Tony Fauci has no financial uh, stake in that particular vaccine, and that vaccine's uh, approval is being delayed. So we have this uh, World Health Organization as the, uh, the China mouthpiece, and, and, you know, to use that kind of language, uh, giving the Wuhan lab a clean bill of health, ignoring all of the particulars surrounding a gain of function. And, and for your listeners who don't understand the gain of function concept, gain of function is, in fact, uh, creating a higher pathogen pathogenetic uh, implication and, and a greater transmissibility of a, of a virus. 
Uh, it makes it, they take it, for example, from a, uh, a, sh uh, a, a bat virus and they make it human and then they make it human but human transmissible. That was all done under the auspice of Tony Fauci. And then he supplied funds to the Wuhan laboratories to do that. Uh, so I think these are things that are left out of the argument. Everything I just said is uh, I've seen in multiple sources and they're well documented. So uh, some of these discussions are, are very uh, skimpy in terms of their understanding of the full details of exactly what happened at the Wuhan lab. And as I mentioned before on your show, this is um, part of what may be a, a, a Chinese asymmetric warfare concept. Now, that sounds... I have no proof of that, but again, if there was to be asymmetric war, warfare, in other words, warfare by other means, uh, could they have had a, a more a deadly attack on the United States than was offered by COVID-19? Well, let me just pile on here by suggesting that we are at war with China, not with conventional warfare, but as you mentioned, by, asymmet and by asymmetric means. And just take, for example, and I mentioned earlier in the show, intellectual uh, property theft, Think about all the things that are going on in order to weaken our country uh, by using non-warfare. China has basically, actually, if we ever go to war with China, it's gonna, we will have provided them the weapons and the money in order to do it. Well, I think that is happening. I, I think we can see that the, the goalpost is being moved as, uh, you know, almost every day it was uh, two masks and it was three masks. And uh, then we have the, uh, the more uh, virulent strains coming out of South Africa, coming out of England. Uh, some suggestion that the, the current vaccines will not at least be as effective with those new strains of this virus. Uh, so I think we're seeing a, a process theoretically was going to end when the uh, when the vaccines came into being, uh, there doesn't seem to be anything being suggested that that is true, even as we have the Moderna and the Pfizer vaccines getting wide distribution. And I might add that I have received my Moderna shots here in, in Florida, and my wife has also. Huh, interesting. Uh, Linda and I have not. And uh, I, I was on the state list. I got on that state list as soon as it opened up. I was called, surprisingly. The day after your show last week and uh, had the vaccinations done the next day at the fire station here in downtown Naples. All right. Well, good for you, I, I guess. <laughs> so, <laughs> I guess is right. So, Andy. It's an act of faith. Bob. Look, before I let you go on this segment of the show, I just want to get your comments on the concept of nullification. Well, let me let me boil it down to my last uh, my last essay, which was built on the 17th Amendment. Uh, I positioned the 17th Amendment as having totally alter the form and structure of our government. Yes. Uh, in fact, uh, up until 1913, the senators were, uh, were uh, appointed by the state legislatures. The Senate acted at that point as an agent of the states. Therefore, if something uh, inappropriate came out of the House of Representatives or something unconstitutional, uh, and it could be nullified, in fact, by the Senate, who were acting as agents of the state. Uh, in the way the government was set up, the, the president represented the nation, the House of Representatives rep represented the people, and the Senate represented the states. Once that 17th Amendment moved the, the appointment of senators into the voting democracy of the people in that individual state, it totally altered the fabric of our government yes. and eliminated what I, I describe, Bob, as being an inherent nullification process that was built into the design of our government by our founders, and that would have been the, the Senate representing the states to, in fact, nullify inappropriate or unconstitutional decisions. So today, uh, what I think we have to be looking for, in my estimation, is a, another way of accomplishing uh, a significant level of nullification. Mm -hmm. Now, in my prior attempts at that, there's a significant pushback from from many because they see it as extreme or radical or uh, they see it as being outside the uh, the historic american historical american norms nothing to be further from the truth nullification was inherent in the design of our government right from this founding to 1913 bob absolutely so uh in practical terms then what if what would nullification look like here in the state of florida uh, you know, if we take any particular action of the of the Congress, um, 
coming out or an executive order, uh, and it was directly affecting only the state. Now, anything that would be uh, federal, for example, a uh, barring of uh, fracking on, on federal land, that would still be in the province of the federal government. But if they move to, in fact, a ban offshore drilling or something, as it, uh, as it would affect Florida, and they did it at the federal level, that could be nullified by, by the Florida government if they so choose. Well, and, and just, you're reminding us of the importance of uh, really the state shielding us from the and buffering us from the egregious uh, <laughs> efforts to try and you know, push alternative energy and the number of things that are going on right now. It's very important that that actually exists. And uh, well, otherwise. Before we deliver that time, I, I'm sorry to interrupt you, Bob. I sure. want to get this point in. It was something uh, in a previous essay of mine. I wrote it on alternative energy. Uh, and alternative energies are being uh, touted as being a eventually a total replacement for fossil fuels. Mm -hmm. uh, some some have it as early as 2025, which would be impossible. 2050, which is highly unlikely. Uh, but in my estimation, in my evaluation of this, the only reason alternative energies are even being developed is to provide an escape patch when they suppress totally. The utilization of fossil fuels. In other words, Bob, they could not suppress totally fossil fuels without at least offering an alternative, even if that alternative was not uh, meaningful in terms of supplying anything resembling the full energy needs of America. Yeah. I I, I, alternative energy is a hoax, Bob. It is certainly. <laughs> by, by bottom line. It is, basic, it is absolutely a hoax. Unbelievable. Andy Joppa, again, I just genuinely appreciate your so well-informed commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Talk to you next week. Bob. Look forward to it. Thank you. All right, coming up, we're going to be visiting with Professor Larry Bell, such an interesting guy. He's a, a, a endowed professor at the University of Houston in space architecture. He's deeply involved in the space program back when it was running in the 60s and 70s and 80s. Uh, and now he's written several books. His latest is How Everything Happened, including us. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Do you suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees? I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees. On a referral, I saw Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. He successfully treated my symptoms and pain for several months. Finally, having exhausted all alternatives for pain management, Dr. Markovich and I agreed that surgery was my best alternative. Dr. Markovich replaced both of my knees in 2006, and I now have full range of motion in both knees, and I have no pain. I now play golf and exercise free of debilitating pain in my knees. Don't suffer needlessly with joint pain. Call orthopedic surgeon Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. He did a great job for me and he'll help you too. You listen to The Bob Harden Show, so why not market your company to our loyal listeners? Ads are played live on each show and then archived so listeners can hear the show and your ad at their convenience. Each advertising package includes a banner on BobHarden.com with a link to your website at no extra charge. Join Lulabee's Diner, Johnson's Air Conditioning, Blue Provence, and many others who advertise on the show. Call me at 598-3889, that's 598-3889, or send an email to BobHarden at Hotmail.com to design an ad program that's just right for your business and your budget. You'll be pleasantly surprised at the cost and the value. Several advertisers have been with me for years. Find out why by calling 598-389 or send me an email to bobharden at hotmail.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host... Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. I want to do a little shout out for Choice Social. It's a new refreshing social networking platform. They host my show and I'm very pleased about it. You can download the app from choicesocial.us website. Choicesocial.us. Check it out. It's really good. 
We have with us Professor Larry Bell, a Dowd professor at the University of Houston in space architecture. He's also author of several books. His latest is How Everything Happened, Including Us. Professor, thank you so much for joining us. Bob, it's always a pleasure. Thank you, Professor. Well, your latest column in Newsmax, and by the way, go to Newsmax.com and uh, look for Larry's column, On Point. Uh, his latest is about uh, the realities are that Biden's proposing, and your column is just fantastic. Maybe you could tell us about it. Yeah, it seems like not actually Biden, but but uh, New York Times uh, writer, technology writer, and others have been sort of suggesting that with all the conspiracy theories that are circling around and very uncomfortable ones about whether or not the election was legitimate and all these other uncomfortable uh, concerns they have, that maybe maybe they can establish uh, within the Biden administration a, a reality czar that would kind of straighten things out and you know, we we need we need a national authority, uh, you know, specifically a Democrat, to to, you know, to straighten us all out and make sure that we're on the same page and and work closely with uh, with the big big tech media companies and you know, make sure we don't stray off the off the you know primrose path of truth. And uh, so so I was uh, I was making this analogy that you know maybe. We can use the Oceana model that was in George Orwell's book, you know, 1984, mm-hmm. where they had a Ministry of Truth, and the Ministry of Truth's job was, and I, I mentioned this in the article, and kind of describe it was was actually to you know to to create truths that you know fit the government's agenda, and 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 uh, make sure that uh, you know that, that the public doesn't get confused by thinking too much. <laughs> And so, so the two major, two major ways of accomplishing this, uh, the, the administrative, of, you know, of truth, uh, actually does the opposite. Just like the other ministries he has, the Ministry of Plenty and the Ministry of Love, and so on, they're just absolutely the opposite of, of what they propose to do. So, love is hate, and ignorance is strength, and and so on. And they, uh, and, and they have they have this. Uh, Process, you know, they, they they call it newspeak, and newspeak kind of reinvents facts and rewrites history, and and they use uh, you know the, the strategy of double think. Double think means you can make something mean whatever you want it to mean, and uh, so in this ministry of truth, in the ministry of truth, housed in this huge uh, pyramidal shaped structure, the glistening white structure amid kind of a kind of a rubble, you know, neighborhood of broken down houses and it is like 300 stories up and 300 stories down and it, uh, it's, it's very well designed it has is what they call a memory hole and memory holes is where you, you take you know uncomfortable facts and things that disagree with with what what the, what the government policy what big brother's policy is and so, so those, those things go down the memory hole and they go into an big incinerator that Kind of, kind of expunges all this uncomfortable history. So on. you can kind of imagine now where Hillary's emails wound up. Yeah. Um, in the in the Biden uh, pyramid and and Biden, you know, the uh, Obama Biden uh, years and so on. You know, Professor, this so, is. You know, I make you know, I make the analogy and kind of disguise how how this might really work very well. You know, and we could we could all be much more agreeable and compliant and. We wouldn't have to worry about unity, really, because we'd all be unified under one one thought thought master, and it should work out well. What could possibly go wrong? <laughs> yeah, Professor, I just it, it, you know it's funny to me. I, I laugh, but you know I'm also it's it, I'm fearful of what you're saying because there's so many analogous behaviors going on right now. Black Lives Matter, the uh, cancel culture, all the things that are going on right now, the changing the names of schools. I mean, that what you're describing is happening right now. Well, you know, we think of, you know, this is you know the second second impeachment of Trump in in two years. You know, I know we've been theater for a while, and and uh, and I, I make the analogy. You know, it's just an, I, I can't think of a better example of double think than where you have in his previous in his previous uh, impeachment. You have the impeachment of Trump. For questioning with Zelensky, the president of Ukraine, raising the specter of question about about 
corruption by Hunter Biden and the Biden family in Ukraine over over this that was notoriously corrupt and and uh, so I have this impeachment for of Trump for questioning uh, the, the president of Ukraine about notorious corruption that was going on and he's he's impeached for that but but uh, at the same time you know the you know the you know the you know the uh, conflict of interest of Hunter Biden and the family, you know, uh, with that company, uh, is is uh, is totally neglected. So, yeah. Trump's impeached for something that Biden actually did, yeah. and, and and so that's a perfect example of of of, of a total flip flop of of, uh, of what we might expect from you know from leadership and accountability. Right, and then the son Hunter writes a book. Now, about how the president is compromised, and it's, it's supposed to be inspiring and interesting. And, and uh, the president say, "Now I've got my son back." It's you know. It, well, I, I like the, I love the I, the title is a wonderful title, a beautiful thing. And I guess <laughs> I guess it's a beautiful life. You know, we just don't we just don't hang with the right people, Bob. Uh, we could we could probably be a lot more wealthy than we are, and and everyone would love us. Yeah, I mean, and and now we're all, uh, for example, domestic terrorists. You know, it's it's uh, you can't make this up, Professor, and it it it's just very very scary. Now, with this Green New Deal, this energy policy they want to invoke, it's they say they want to base everything on science, CDC, and so forth. And there's no science; it's all fake science. It's voodoo. It's voodoo science, is what it is. Well, always always trust the experts, you know, because uh, you know my experts always better than your expert, right? And and uh, and uh, I pay them more. So. Yeah. Oh, you know, per, per, so it's 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 uh it's pretty sad. I you know I wrote my first book on this uh, climate science uh, scam uh, uh, ten years ago, and uh, has been and, ten years. And, the, and what I was writing in that first book, climate of corruption, was simply the fact that uh, you know this you know it it kind of goes back to the climate gate scandals and so on and. And the climate thing was never about climate. It's always about it's always been about energy. It's always been about subsidies for wind and solar power, and and, and a whole lot of other things, and and wealth redistribution by the United Nations. And that's not me saying it; they they say it themselves you know, yeah, yeah, in I their know. own words. I know. So so uh, you know this 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 is nowhere of science. You know, it's it's, a, it's becoming another uh, form of newspeak and double think where. Where uh, you know, if if a so-called scientist can get their name in the paper for for uh, you know suggesting as they did back in the seventies that the next ice age is coming and it captures all the headlines and so on, they've hey they've probably made tenure doing that, uh, and, and it's it's really great. But uh, there's never any accountability for things that don't happen. And uh, I've an article I'm going to be writing very soon on what will climate alarm end when the world doesn't. You know, at what point? Yeah. At what point do we begin to to wake up and say, you know, uh, you know, do, are we do we wear a mask or not wear a mask? You know, what are the what are the what are the scientists saying today? Yeah. Well, at some point, we have to use our own common sense. I, it all comes down to that, Professor. I, you know, I, I'm a strong believer in uh, whether it's uh, taking the vaccine or whether it's wearing a mask, whatever it might be. It's a personal decision. You need to make your own decision. You need to be a good neighbor, obviously. You don't want to hurt anybody else around you, but also you want to take care of yourself, your family, and your personal health. And uh, I've, uh, make your own decisions. Don't Your doctor has his opinion. Listen to your doctor, but make your own decision. I think that's such an important point. I want to just encourage always get a second opinion. Always get a second opinion, including your own. Uh, I want to uh, just <laughs> recommend that uh, you go to uh, Newsmax.com and uh, take a look at Professor Bell's columns on point. Uh, you're going to find a list of books here that he's written, including I, I mentioned how everything happened, including us. There's also great books on cyber warfare, on uh, weaponization of uh, artificial intelligence. Thinking whole about uh, you know climate change scared witless the prophets of prophets of climate doom just great reads I encourage you to take Bob that. another book coming out this month uh, uh, what makes humans truly exceptional wow and that should be out uh, on uh, Amazon both uh, Kindle and hard copy uh, later this month. We'll be looking forward to it, Professor. I just genuinely appreciate your commentary here in the show. Thank you so much for joining us. 
Bob, it's always a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you, Professor. Well, that's a wrap here in today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, Tomorrow, we're going to visit with Keith Flaw, the co founder of the Florida Citizens Alliance. By the way, their big event is tonight. Uh, Ben Carson's going to be there, Dr. Ben Carson, among others. So I encourage you, we're going to be there. I encourage you to visit the website, uh, goflca.com, see if tickets are available. There's only about 20 left uh, uh, last week. Uh, Also, so Keith will be with us. Uh, Michael uh, Cannon, the uh, Director of Health Studies at the Cato Institute, will be joining us. Seton Motley, the founder and president of Less Government. And the former mayor of Naples, Bill Barnett, will be joining us as well. I always appreciate getting comments from you. You can send me an email at bobharden at hotmail.com. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. Thanks so much for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com.